0: This is you going through and saying, we think we've got a solution here for a problem and you describe it in a nutshell. And then you're trying to gather information from that potential customer. And there is a framework that I've been a student from afar for a number of years on, since I learned about this about five years ago. And that I get some, you know, checklists, I get some descriptions of it and I give it to founders all the time and say, Just go through this. And at the core of it is just trying to find out what is really making your customer tick. Now, in Web3, and in other places as well that are not Web3, there is a flip side to that question of what problem you're solving. It's that, what desire are you fulfilling? And that is where social networks start to plug in.
1: Hello, I'm Sumi Ariane. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. In today's episode, I speak with Pete Townsend, managing director at Techstars Web3. This interview was done a few weeks ago when at Impeak we decided to put our Web3 activities on hold until there were more regulatory clarity and the sentiment towards Web3 improved. Even if you are not a Web3 founder, you will find some very helpful insights in this podcast in relation to dealing with the ever-changing technological landscape, so without further ado, let's dive right in. So, Pete, you have been so helpful with your advice to me for quite some time, and uh, I've never had you on the podcast. So, this is great to have you on the pod and you know have a little bit of conversation that other people can listen to as well and 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 see the kind of advice that I've been getting. The way I treat these. Conversations is like more of a advisory session and then I record that and and hopefully my questions are also relevant to other founders. So first things first, I should mention that my voice is probably shakier than usual because (laughs) I have been... I have been on zoom calls around 14 to 15 hours a day (laughs) for the past few weeks um all right we are we are going through a a transition and and pivoting so we will talk a little bit about that in our platform but i guess first things first maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about from your observation of you know the number of startup founders that you talk to how often do you see startup founders having to pivot in their journey within the first few years, from what they start out with the, the, vision that they start out with to where they are, say three years later, is it, is this very common or is it just me?
0: It's, it's incredibly common. It's incredibly common. And it's the whole idea is that you got to get out there and talk to customers. And I still feel funny saying that talk to customers, cause they're not your customers yet. They're people who could become your customers. And when you're not yet sure what your business model is, you could be talking directly to individuals, or you could be talking to businesses. And that's where things just get hairy. So with Techstars, we have our mentor madness period at the beginning of every Techstars program. And the whole idea is that you put everybody through the grinder. And what generally tends to happen is that when you spend 20 minutes explaining your business, or actually it's three minutes explaining your business, and then 17 minutes of trying to find a match with that mentor. Um, And you're explaining that to, and you're having that conversation, you know, 40, 50 times over the course of two weeks that you're either going to come out of that with, well, your assumptions have been confirmed and you're going in the right direction, or it's like, wait a second, that's not going to work. And you go back to the drawing board. And we see that happen at companies that come into Techstars is that we really like them as founders, but you then put them in front of a bunch of experts, a bunch of people that would either perhaps invest in the business or just help them as mentors. And if it's not clear on what it is that they're doing and how they're going to sell it, you go back to the drawing board and you say, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Who am I trying to solve that for? How big is that market? Can I go talk to at least 30 people if it's B2B business to business or hundred people, if it's B2C business to, to a customer uh, or to consumer, And you collect tons of data. And generally, by the time you get 60% of the way through, you figure out, okay, I know what this customer group's main needs are. And you then, well, the word pivot is thrown around so much, but you then decide, well, we're going to go in a new direction. Um, And if you can figure that out in the first three to six months of your life as a business, or even in the first year, that's good. If you build something and get it to market, and then you realize that, Jesus, this revenue figure just isn't going the direction we needed to, We've come up with a great problem to solve, but can we get people to buy it? That is where um, I see companies in, like you said, in the first two, three years of their life, four, five, six times, they're changing direction. Um, and it's, you know, the ones that are changing direction that you know that they're going to go through brick walls to get themselves into position with their business so that it's successful.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. When you said talk to customers, there was a time that I would think, yeah, like all you have to do is just like schedule, you know, 30 calls a day and, and, and start talking to, you know, potentially the type of people that you want to attract. But how do you deal with, Running out of energy, you know? (laughs) Don't do 30.
0: (laughs) Don't do 30. You want to do five or six a day, and you only want to do that over a month period. Right. And this is, and it's not a sales pitch. It is not, hey, we designed this, um, want to pitch it to you and want to let you ask some questions. This is you going through and saying, we think we've got a solution here for a problem and you describe it in a nutshell, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're trying to solve. And then you're trying to gather information from that potential customer. And there is a framework called jobs to be done that I've been a kind of student from afar for a number of years on, since I learned about this about five years ago. And that I, I Google, I get some, you know, checklists, I get some descriptions of it. And I give it to founders all the time and say, just go through this. And, the, the, at the core of it is just trying to find out what is really making your customer tick. And there's this great story that Clayton Christensen, may he rest in peace. He wrote the innovators dilemma, and he used this to figure out how to sell more milkshakes at McDonald's in the United States of America, in the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere, where people are driving normally an hour to an hour and a half a day to get to their job destination in the morning and it was basically trying to figure out what was the best way to sell more milkshakes. What was it that people wanted? They wanted something that kept them full or where kept them occupied on the way on the drive, something that they enjoyed and something that meant they were full when they got to the office and they weren't going to look for more food and a banana didn't work because it wasn't all that filling a bagel was too messy but a milkshake for some reason they found out between the hours of 6 30 and 8 30 in the morning in this one mcdonald's franchise adjacent to a inter uh, an interstate highway was selling a lot of milkshakes and it was like how do we make it easier do we offer new flavors do we have different levels of thickness no their answer was move it out from behind the counter move it out to the front of the shop so it's very easy and frictionless for people to actually buy milkshakes. And they sold even more. So that was just very simply, what is it that you want? What are you looking to do? And I've seen these jobs to be done frameworks. They focus on, hey, what did you have for breakfast today? When the last time you experienced this problem, what were you going through? What was in your mind that day? And it's really just trying to get this information out. And it can seem exhausted. It can seem pointless. But the information that you gather from that can be incredibly enlightening and really help you to truly understand the problem that you're solving. And I, I could think of a, probably a couple of examples for the direction you're going, Somi, where where that could be applicable.
1: Yeah, tell me, tell me more about that in the direction. So maybe for people who may not have the context, InPeak started out as FemPeak. We were going to be building a network for women in business and technology. Turned out that that market was too small the other problem is that expectation that a female network was supposed to be nonprofit for so many reasons you know this this was at the expectation so when i talked to investors that's how people saw it uh, for example we got morgan stanley as one of our first clients but it went into their diversity bucket right so it just was was like not exactly the positioning that we wanted it to be and because other female networks have been uh, using that type of framework and that type of positioning it was very hard for us to to shake that image so we rebranded to inpeak and essentially we wanted to build a network i have always wanted to build a, a social network since the beginning of social networking you know when, when i watched f- facebook and then i got into linkedin so for me, I saw a lot of things that were wrong with these um, you know existing social networks, and I wanted to build the next iteration of uh, a social network that I thought sh- that it should be how it is. and and the way that I thought it should be how it is is, that as a as a creator, you should be able to own your data, you should be able to, uh, to own the relationship between you and your audience. When you post things, your 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 audience should be able to see them. It should not be in a position where you are on ma- most other social networks that you build an audience, you work such so hard to build an audience, but then you post things and you can't even guarantee that they will see it because it's not in the interest of, say, Instagram or or LinkedIn to show. You that um, that uh, information because they have their own agenda. So they so essentially you've been like a cow milked. You know that that you've been used to generate content for that platform. But then people don't own the relationship between them and their audience. When Web three came along, it it was a promise to solve that problem. And and I could see that with token gated communities. You know you could create these this this concept of building. And b- building a social network around communities. However, I always say Web3 has got three problems. Problem number one is overly complicated. Problem number two is regulation. And uh, the third one is hyper-financialization. Because of the the nature of the kind of people that came into Web3 being really hyper-financialized, hyper-focused around you know, the finances, it made it really hard for Web3 to proliferate, at least in its first iteration, uh, the way that we thought it would. So Web3 has taken a step back. We have already built the the foundations of the platform for for a social network. But the way we see this social network is very different. When people say social network, they think about, oh, people are posting and other people are seeing. But what we are thinking about is, a social network that is built around education and learning and and professional networking. So you build these clusters, these communities. Each community has got its own live sessions. They have their own on-demand content. They have their own forum. And then there is a collaboration opportunity between the communities. So in that sense, it's very different from, say, something like Discord, because Discord, each channel is closed and they never interact with each other. Whereas on the platform that we are building, eventually there's going to be a homepage where people can see the different communities that they are part of. They can see the latest things from them. They can collaborate. They can, um, you know, invite each other to to each other's content. And Web3 technology made so much sense for this because it was very easy to connect communities through their smart contracts. But now without Web3, without the smart contract, we are having to figure out a new way of doing this. So now we are creating email gating and then we are creating, you know, like uh, instead of a smart contract, uh, a long numeric code and a name for each community. And then of creating these drop-down menus so that people can can um, collaborate with each other from these different angles. So this was a long-winded way of saying, you know, this is kind of like a, a, an explanation of, uh, you know, how we started yeah. from peak to impeak to where we are going now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I have a couple of questions for you, but, you know, first, and we talked about this before, I mean, your fourth thing about Web3, There, you mentioned three, there's four. The fourth one is it's a tiny market. Yeah, and and problem, yeah. 80 to 85% of the people that were in it were in it for the heat of the token flipping. So that you, you had a good proportion of your audience, or it's very small proportion of your audience likely that was, hey, truly believe in the direction you're going. You're right about all of this. It's just, it's a bit early. And that for Web3 businesses to succeed right now, they need to be able to sell to Web2. So I think what you're doing is that you're repositioning the business so that you could sell to Web2. And that some of the technology that you've built you can um, put a new skin on that in order to make it simple and easier to bring web2 users on board and that's happening across crypto that's happening across web3 so you're, you're 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 in good company somi but i think looking at building a network and building a social network like you said around education and training and professional connections that there are you still are coming back to the main question with any startup is what problem are you solving okay now In Web3, and in other places as well that are not Web3, there is a flip side to that question of what problem you're solving. It's that, what desire are you fulfilling? Okay. And that is where social networks start to plug in. So my question for you is, when you're thinking about perhaps the community of venture capital firms investment syndicates that operate like venture capital for, or look for the same deal flow, the startups that they invest in looking at that community, there's tons out there. There's a huge educational requirement out there, not only for startups on how the VC world works, but the VC world on how new and different strands of, you know, new verticals around technology. And what's at play and what makes sense? What should I be paying attention to? What should I not be paying attention to? How do I match if I'm a VC, how do I match up my true core capabilities with some new, you know with with AI, right? with if I'm a fintech VC, am I ever actually going to think about how do i might I invest in an AI company that is servicing financial services, right? Um, that is fintech. and how what are the types of questions? what? Who are the people in my network that I can go to that could help me answer some of these questions around this? So if, you know, when we talk about going and talking to 30 potential users, 30 potential customers, or up, even up to 100, if it's, if it's B2B, sorry, 30 for B2B and 100 for B2C, what are the types of questions that you're going to ask them to truly find out what you would want to do for them?
1: that's super interesting you know to answer your question of what what is the the problem we're solving or the desire that we are f- fulfilling it's the ability to have deep connections or to build build d- deep connections and learn about deep topics in a way that you know you can't go on udemy to learn about building a startup you can't go on masterclass because the M- masterclass to me is one of the most useless things ever because um <laughs> i probably shouldn't say that <laughs> but but because it, i feel like it's so surface level like i watched malcolm um gladwell's you know right on writing right like and and I didn't learn anything. It's just so surface level, so not deep enough. Whereas in an environment where you can have these webinars, uh, where you can go into breakout rooms, have like really close uh, conversation with people and ask them directly questions that are on it's kind of like, the. this is why I love doing this podcast, because I can have these deep conversations. and And what we want to do on the platform is really replicate what I have on this podcast with you know, uh, with amazing uh, mentors like yourself. We want to now replicate that for uh, on a mass level for startup founders and, and VCs and, and investors, family offices, you know, emerging fund managers, all of those things. So at least that will be like our initial audience. And then as it grows, then those startup founders can then use the platform to build their own audiences for other niche areas. and. and the reason why we are focusing on emerging sectors i i have a deep belief as a founder that you should focus on something that you are passionate about and i'm deeply passionate about emerging spaces like you know emerging technologies and i think that there is a real gap that there are things like for example i'm really deep into health span and and longevity and i take um this thing called rapamycin which is a um anti is like a anti-aging uh, you know, experimental anti-aging drug. Um, now, there is a forum for it and there is like a, a website that is specifically dedicated to that. And I can see an opportunity, and so many people don't necessarily know about rapamycin, but I can see an opportunity for our platform to be a place where people discover these new, you know, and exciting discoveries and, and you know, and, and they, they can build an audience. Uh, so if our platform can be a space for startup founders, because I think that that's where, the deepest insights come uh, from uh, the latest things that are being worked on in uh, in science, in technology, and uh, there are people who are early adopters that want to learn about these things. And by the time it hits MasterClass or Udemy or you know uh, like other uh, kind of like the, first of all, it probably never will get to those places. But even by the time it does, just so much older. So so that's I, I believe that's the desire. And the problem, you know, that we are addressing, uh, to be a space for deep conversations and deep learning, deep connections for emerging spaces.
0: I think I think you you've hit the nail on the head, Somi. Is that there's the desire side of it, the desire to do everything you just talked about, desire to connect, the desire to learn, the desire to uh, grow your network, and it's not just for networking purposes. It's because I do this myself. Is that I curate my network as much as I can because having conversations with people gives me new insights about the investments I'm about to make, right? And uh, and I ask those that I'm close with, whether they're investors or experts, mentors, say, can you talk to this founder, please? I think I'm missing part of the story here because I don't have the experience or the capability in this one area in order to ask the right questions. Can you please do that for me, right? So there is we're, we're doing two things there. We're fulfilling a desire to help me curate my network, right? And to stay close with people and learn at the same time, but also then help me to do my job, right? Which is due diligence on founders and due diligence on potential investment opportunities and making the right decisions about what to invest in and then how to work with those founders. That's a different conversation uh, completely. So what I'm thinking is that You've got an excellent grasp on the desire side of it, but on the problem side, you what you expressed at the very beginning when I asked you is the same thing that I get from founders all the time, is that when I ask them the problem, they do a reverse of the solution, right? An inability to do X, an inability to build their network and educate themselves and learn in the way that they would like to. So back to the problem. With the yeah. options that are out there today, yeah. we don't want to get into a competitive landscape assessment here. We do yeah. not want to, yeah. because you need to think beyond that when you're when you're doing this. Um, it, it's a critically important thing to do and to 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 figure out what to watch for. But how do you dig into and drill into this collection of things that are a headache for people, right? And it is is this a painkiller that you have, or is it a vitamin? I'll say it the American way: a vitamin. <laughs> and a painkiller is something when you have a headache. You leaving your house, you get into the car. You're like, oh, I forgot to take my painkiller. I'm gonna go back inside. When you're pulling out of the house, driving away, you say, oh, I forgot to take my my supplement today, my vitamin C, whatever, my mega vitamin. Am I gonna go back in the house? Am I gonna drive back and do it? Nope. I'll take it later. Right. So, you could f- that vitamin fulfills a desire. That vitamin allows you to um, supplement your health, supplement your diet, do whatever you want, but that is the other side of it. Solving the problem is the painkiller. What is the pain that you're killing?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I would say that depending on who you are, the, the, uh, supplement might be super important.
0: (laughs) True. True.
1: Like for uh, for that's like why if, you're if,
0: I know you're a very smart person so because you <laughs> answered that <laughs>
1: you know i i really think for the audience that we are going for which is the startup founders who are extremely smart obviously they wouldn't be building in in emerging se- sectors and for um you know vcs and and fund managers etc that are looking to discover new talent if you think that as somebody who is like sitting on the other side of writing me a check, that I need to reposition this in a way that to you, it looks like a painkiller, I can do that. But I would, uh, I would also argue that there is an audience for whom the supplement is, <laughs> is equally as important. And, and I am the person that would go back to get, or if I can't, I would just buy it somewhere else again.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's turn it around. Mm -hmm. Right. So taking that supplement, what is the problem I'm solving by taking that supplement? I'm fulfilling a desire, but you know what? I feel like, because I don't, um, I don't eat or drink dairy. I'm not getting enough vitamin D. Yeah. That's a problem because, you know, longer term bone deficiency, right? So I need to do something about that. That solves a problem. So in your space, a startup, jeez, I'm just not in the right circles. Yeah. I don't know enough about fundraising. I don't know enough about asking, doing jobs to be done frameworks. And if I'm a VC, I just don't have the right connections to fill the gaps when I really like a founder, but I'm not sure about the technical side of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what we've just done there is flipped it from fulfilling a desire of, I want to learn more. I want to be more connected. I want to educate to I really do have a problem here and finding those startups and finding those VCs. Like I'm very familiar with a VC who is going through this same thing right now, or they're saying, listen, we've got some great people. They're really smart. They're great investors, but nobody knows we're here. You know, and as a VC these days, you can't just sit back and wait for the deals to come to you or else you're just going to get, you got to get not the best ones. You got to go out and be able to find them and to be able to find them. You need people to know that you're there. And for people to know you're there, you've got to create content. Yeah. Or and in the old days, yes. in the old days, it was go do an event, right? So and- I
1: was gonna speak about the events with you. That one of the things I fa- find about going to conferences, which is quite frustrating, is that I had this experience in consensus where you meet lots of people and everybody is just really quick to exchange Telegram with you but you don't build a deep enough connection you you don't really have enough of a conversation that you will remember them and then the moment you you go away that those connections fizzle out whereas with a community like ours because you will keep coming back to these events during the week you start to build relationships and you you get to know people. I, I, like there are so many people I met at these conferences that I don't even remember. You know, I put people in the, in into folders, but it's not like on a daily basis. There's no reason for me to message them so to keep those relationships alive whereas one of the things i loved about web3 with like discord and with events and things like that was that you actually got to know people and after a while you you knew even if like they you didn't know their real name even if they were pseudonymous you started to kind of get a sense for this person was a presence in your life and uh, or that um, avatar was a presence in your life and you knew that you could you could actually reach out to them and talk to them so i think that is that is one of the biggest things that um uh, the other thing i would say as somebody who lives in london and so many of these events happen in, in the u.s traveling it's just so expensive so hard to to constantly travel to conferences whereas our platform essentially will provide the, uh, the ability for communities to hang out with each other without having to constantly travel. And, yeah. and you can build those relationships and some of those relationships can be stronger and more meaningful than, you know, uh, spending a week in a conference. So, oh yeah. So There's just oh, yeah. some of them.
0: Oh, we could talk forever about conferences. I mean, in a nutshell, it's that you go to a conference. If you have a speaking slot, um, ideally you're not paying for a ticket, right? And, or you've decided to sponsor because you've got some, you've got the ability to do that from a cash flow perspective. And you think that is an audience that when they see your name, that will work, right? And that will get people to buy what you're selling, right? Other than that, going to a conference is you find out who's going, you look at the page where all the sponsors are listed, who's going from the sponsors that you think you want to meet try to reach out to them in advance and set up meetings and you go and you do your meetings and then you leave and you go to the side events and you pick out the side events that are in your niche. And that's where you go and you have the more of those meaningful conversations. So um I used to go to conferences and I'd walk around like a lost puppy, you know, for, for, for hours and just continually do these circuits and see who I could bump into, but you got to go with a plan. Right. And Trying to, I totally get that point about saying how can we create these stronger connections where instead of going to conferences, you put people into that niche, you put people into that virtual side event, right? Where people know that they're going to be able to have an interesting conversation with somebody because they're they're in that space and they're 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 following the same trends and themes that you follow. So, I I think that's that's a strong thread to pull on is what I'm saying and you know it's going to it's going to come back to hey do you have enough of a niche in the earliest days of people who you are solving that problem for right of i don't feel like i'm in enough circles i don't feel like i have the right connections i can do better and then from that point on what will naturally happen is when you can move this to fulfill a desire that desire is going to be hey I keep hearing about this network. I keep hearing that that people that I know that are on that, I need to get on that network. And that is fear of missing out, right? And so you're solving that problem, or it's a you know, desire at the same time. So um I, I think it's again at the earliest days, focusing on the problem and being able to get money from people who you're truly killing a pain for.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so in general, you're Suggestion is to always talk from a painkiller p- point of view and not a supplement point of view. To,
0: to get in the earliest days, you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to. And, you know, the earliest days of Coinbase, for example, the problem they were solving was that it was really, really hard to buy Bitcoin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now look where they are, right? They've gone way beyond that. Um, as opposed to saying, hey, I have a desire to get into crypto. That wasn't the problem. They were they, that, they weren't fulfilling that desire they were just saying hey it's really hard to hold bitcoin eat for people that are in it right now and yeah. then then let's go on down the road down the years and attract a whole bunch of users just by the fact of hey i need to be in this space right so yeah. you know that's well, that's where you're going
1: well from a, so from a b2c point of view that's how you know we can describe it what we just said about you know you're solving the problem of people connecting etc but from a b2b point of view we're solving yet another problem and that one is for me is even more tangible and that is as a founder uh, or as a as a creator now as a creator you may be a vc creating content for your portfolio companies you may be a coach creating content for your clients so uh, as a as a creator we solve a real problem and that is you own the relationship between yourself and your audience. You, you're you not building an audience, you're building a community. There's a difference between a community and an audience. On social media, you build an audience. On our platform, you build a community. And then you own the data, you can see who has watched what, how much of it has watched. So you know, like if you want to upsell to them, you know, if you want to, um, you know, monetize, I don't know merchandise or whatever that you might want to think about. You know, you can you can do all of those things in a way that um, that you wouldn't be able to do on say YouTube or uh, other places because you you can't uh, see exactly. So on YouTube and on on uh, LinkedIn you get aggregate data, you don't get exact data. And then with your audience, you have their, all their emails, so it's entirely puts the power in your hand as a creator. And and uh, the way that you manage your uh, your community. So I think that's that that was like from the very beginning. That was the thing that my problem as a as a creator on LinkedIn was that like I've got eighty thousand followers on LinkedIn, but I uh, have no control over whether when I post something they see it. I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, I don't know exactly who is watching what. You know, and, and even if I do, I don't have a way of re- uh, reaching out to them. It's not like I can post something and see, okay, these people looked at this video. So uh, I can then email them and say, hey, I saw that you saw this video. Uh, would you like to da da da, right? Couldn't do that. So th- that's one of the problems.
0: I know. I know. Yeah. And, and you know, helping again, it's fulfilling desire. And even I fall into it myself, which is what is the solution? Helping people build communities the The problem is that I don't have enough of a group of people or businesses that are aware of what I do, that want to engage in uh, with each other that will help me to fulfill my business objectives, right? Now again, i'm'm I'm, I'm grasping here to try to, you know define that problem. And you can go through a whole nested set of examples here but I think it comes back to the core of what we were talking about, that if I'm a startup, I'm not in the right circles. I don't know enough about what I should be doing in the earliest stages of what I'm building in order to, yeah, I can build product, but what else should I be doing? And then if I am a venture capital firm, I don't have the brand, I don't have the awareness of what it is that we're good at to attract those founders that really need help and obviously capital. So that's- uh, So
1: you would say- that the network, building a network is the first problem. And, and then the second thing is once you build a network, how do you manage the relationship between you and your community?
0: Well, it's building a network, but it's doing it in such a way that, you know, I go from a few people I know to 10 people I know, right? I get, you know, two to 10. And that those eight people I've added to my network are helpful because I've spoken with them and they've shared some ideas with me. Um, and then, you know, if you can do that for four five, six different founders and, you know, whether you're leveraging the same people, but then you've got 60, 70 people on board. Right. And if a few of those are investors and they start looking at the the founders that you brought on board for deal flow, right. Then you've got some value that's being created here. And then you get all of that going and you grow that to a hundred to 200 to 300 and then you have the bones of what's called an investment syndicate, but that's a discussion for another day.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. We should talk about that. Um, all right, so I just noticed that we are at time. Any last words uh, for founders you know, looking to maybe deal with pivoting, regardless of Web3, like whether, whether let's say if there are so many companies right now where their whole business model has been disrupted by ChatGPT, right? Like you wake up in the morning and new technology has come that renders you irrelevant or even if not irrelevant, makes life a lot harder for you. Do you have any kind of words of uh, wisdom for those
0: founders? If you're pivoting, don't just do it because someone suggested, oh, hey, you should go out after this market. Do your homework, throw all your assumptions out the window and redo your customer discovery from scratch. 30 if you're B2B, 100 if you're B2C. That's it.
1: So 100 com- uh, customers that that you talk to them. Basically. You,
0: you talk to them and you, you ask them your set of same 10 questions that you're going to ask all 100 of them to gather the data on what their problem is that you can yeah. solve.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to create a survey today.
0: Awesome. <laughs> Thank awesome. you so
1: much, Pete. I really appreciate it. My that.
0: pleasure. So it's been great yeah. to talk to you.
1: I hope you enjoyed this interview with Pete Townsend of Techstars. Please be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share this podcast with other founders who you think might enjoy.